This is a branded podcast from Latitude Studios. The U.S. grid is in trouble. It's old. It's really hard to build new transmission lines, and that's limiting the amount of wind and solar we can add to the system. Sheldon Kimber, founder and CEO of the clean energy developer Intersect Power, says the grid is broken. But he has a plan to get around those constraints. And rather than just talk about it in technical terms, he likes to tell a parable. Yeah, uh, my dad was a Methodist minister, so uh, raised in the Christian tradition and uh, a lot of sermons at the dinner table. Growing up, Sheldon's dad often told a story about a man who needed help. It's the story of, you know, a man who's stuck in a flood, right? And as the, as the floodwaters rise, someone comes to his door and says, do you need help? Do you need help getting out of your home? You know, we can, we can take you to safety. And they've got rain boots and, and all the rest of it, and we'll take you out of here. And he says, no, 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 you know, God, God will save me. But the floodwaters continue to rise, and the man goes up to the second floor. And the rescuers come again and offer him a boat. And he says, no, 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 you know, God's going to save me. The rising water eventually forces the man to his roof, where the rescuers come with a helicopter and offer to deliver him to safety. You know, the man says, no, I've been praying, and God will save me. Eventually, the water overtakes the man, and he winds up in heaven. And there, he meets God. Then he says, hey, God, you know, I did everything you asked. I had faith, and I believed you would save me, and you didn't. You didn't come to my aid. And God says, you're a fool. I sent you people to your door. I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a helicopter. And <laughs> you turned them all down. So what does this story tell us about the electric grid? For Sheldon, it's a reminder that we need to build clean energy projects using the tools already at hand, not waiting for divine intervention. I think the fundamental thing is just that no one is coming to save us, right? In that respect, you know, Intersect Power is not really waiting on the, the helicopter or the boat or the person to knock on the door. I mean, we pretty much got up on the roof and dove off into the water and started swimming off into the you know, direction they thought was, was dry ground. America is facing a transmission problem. There's not enough of it and we can't build it quickly but developers can't view transmission as their savior. In this episode, produced in partnership with Intersect Power, Sheldon Kimber talks with Stephen Lacey about creative strategies for building renewables that don't rely on overhauling the grid. So not only is the grid broken, the one we have in many ways, we've sort of been living off of the, the goodwill of the 1950s, 1960s, you know, 1970s maybe, infrastructure that we put in place as a country. And, uh, you know, you look at today's data centers, you look at today's uh, arc furnace steel mills, a lot of these places have, have, are beginning to soak up kind of the last of the, of the big grid capacity, right? A lot of the renewables that have come online to date have benefited from the, the capacity that was there on the grid, not because we built it, but because it was left over from when we remembered how to build transmission in this country. If you look at what we need, the grid needs to grow by about 60% by 2030, right? According to some studies uh, for us to meet our climate goals. It needs to triple in size by 2050. So I wish I could say the transmission were sort of coming to save us, right? That we were about to have some sort of Eisenhower-style interstate highway push for a transmission system. When you look at why we failed, it's 
deeply, deeply rooted systemic problems, right? Um, not the least of which is the balkanization of our power grid, right? Our power grid is split into a thousand pieces, and that's across multiple axes. That's across the, the political functions in the sense that there are many, many governors who have a state's rights sort of claims to, you know, their power grid and sovereignty when the Western transmission, you know, when the WEC, California ISO, was looking to expand, a lot of the governors sort of said, I don't want Gavin Newsom in my business. It's, it's at the regulatory level. So each of the state's PUCs have their own little domain to protect um, the utilities, right? Why would a utility in one state or even a multi-state utility in one region want to be governed by a second layer of regulatory oversight, right? When they've already got a PUC, they don't need FERC as well. No one has the incentive to actually fix the problem. And that's why it won't get fixed. Well, let's talk about how acute the problem is is and what it means for developers. So we've got this backlog of renewables and batteries that exceed the capacity of the entire U.S. generation fleet. Um, this massive interconnection backlog, a failure to build adequate transmission. Why is it such a problem for developers of large-scale renewables? So I think the transmission queue issue is a bit of a red herring in the sense that what what has caused that problem in a lot of ways is the banker approach to selling renewable energy companies, right? Where the banks, and it's not the banker's fault, it's, it's you know, so it's a market, but the market has incentivized people to have huge pipelines, right? And if you ask any developer what a pipeline is, you'll get, you know, a thousand different definitions of what a pipeline is from, I've got a slide here that shows a map with some sunny land to, you know, here's a project that is fully financed and I'm about to put shovels in the ground. So um, at Intersect, we don't even talk about pipelines, but for the last at least 10 years, everybody's been rewarded when, you know, you sell a company like Intersect, for instance, a, a lot of lazy, develop, you know, uh, valuation is done by, we'll value the stuff that's operating and then we'll value the stuff that's really, really near term. And then everything else, we'll just sort of take a number of cents per watt of capacity and we'll just multiply it out, right? Now that has incentivized people to just carpet bomb the, the transmission queues. Because if I can say, I've got a filed, a filed queue position and a piece of dirt, that's a project, right? And, you know, there is a, we like to use the phrase a lot, which is there are really, really low barriers to entry in this business and really, really high barriers to actually successful exit. And so actually bringing a project online, you know, you look at all of those, most of the stuff that's in the queue isn't even going to get built because there's no land that's even reasonable around those queue positions, right? There, it's, it's, you'd have to build something that costs twice as much as it should because the geotechnical conditions and the topogra topographical conditions are just garbage. And so that's really what has clogged the queues up. And I think what we need is a, a culling of the queues where people are forced to, frankly, put up, I know people are squealing at the amounts of money they've already had to post, but I think there needs to be a, 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 a clearing of the queues that involves putting your money where your mouth is. Because we've had a lot of capital flow into the business, which has armed a lot of two guys in a truck to carpet bomb queues for a long time because they've had meaningful money. And, and now we almost need to have it be even more meaningful money, um, you know, that people need to put at risk. And so what does this mean for finding new off-takers, uh, new sectors, new ways of developing projects? You're, you're calling for developers to think outside the grid. So what does that mean for a business model shift away from what you just described? 
we have a thesis that underlies our entire business. And I think this is one of the things that differentiates Intersect from a lot of other companies in the space, right? There's a lot of other companies that'll tell you, here's our growth plan, here's our strategy, we're gonna go to these markets because there's a new RPS in, you know, Tennessee or whatever it is, and, and we're gonna go develop a pipeline there. We, we try to think a little bit more big picture and a little bit more strategically. So really starting from first principles of our mission is to combat climate change, we landed on kind of what are the really, really big levers that have to happen, right? And we kind of refer to those as kind of the inevitable industries, right? You're gonna need some sort of negative carbon you know, technology like a direct air capture. You're gonna need you know, some sort of ability to change electrons into, into molecules, so green hydrogen, e-fuels. You know, there'll probably be desalination in there for you know, adaptation instead of you know, actually avoiding climate change. Uh, so when you start with kind of these new, big, inevitable industries, and then you ask yourself, well, where are these going to locate? Because they're all incredibly energy intensive, right? The one thing you come away from from that exercise with is that high capacity factor, low cost, clean energy is sort of the enabling feature of all of these things. If you don't have that, you can't, you can't actually put in place these pretty much inevitable gigaton levers that are required to beat back climate change. And if you take that to its next logical step, it'll be not only just new industries that are required to find, you know, high capacity factor, low cost, clean electrons, but also the existing industries that are currently dependent on a grid that can't possibly deliver that profile. And so we, we kind of have arrived at this point of, you know, load will come to generation, right? So load is going to move toward the generation because the grid isn't going to be able to deliver that generation. And that's, you'll see it most in a most pronounced fashion in these new industries because they don't have a, an existing base, right? So that's the sort of thesis that Intersect Power is essentially built on. We're going to build a grid-tied business that looks like everybody else's. We have that, and we're building it fast. It's growing fast. But it's this realization that, that the grid is broken combined with the fact that these new industries will need to emerge that really leads us to this almost kind of energy park thesis where we believe there will be large clusters around places like the panhandle of Texas where the wind and the sun are very, very advantageous and the, the cost of power can not only be low, but also the capacity factor, even without battery storage, can be, you know, 65, 70% of the time. How much can this strategy alleviate bottlenecks in the industry? Like, what does this allow you to do? If you're thinking in this, this park model, as you call it, what does that do to accelerate the actual development of a project? Do you have specific examples that you can point to? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got places, for instance, in, say, West Texas, where we're, we're building a hydrogen facility, right? Um, and our development work there has a, a, a handful of what we refer to as kind of Pat's home. We know we can build a very, very large renewable facility, right? There's, there's you know, uh, I, I, I challenge most people who call themselves hydrogen developers, you know, when, when you talk to them to ask them how many 500 megawatt plus renewable facilities they built because there, there aren't very many of those, but there's a lot of hydrogen developers. So we know we can build those. We also now know that we can build the electrolysis and the, and the hydrogen production. We've got, you know, uh, uh, supply agreements and we've done, you know, a lot of the late stage engineering. So we're ready to do that on a number of our facilities. Um, but it really is now we're in the, we're in the phase of kind of playing out the options of what we call the path home, right? How do you get that electron into a molecule or something that can then get to a viable market? And so, you know, we're in negotiation 
uh, with a number of pipeline companies on, on actually building out very large hydrogen pipes or ammonia pipes to come and collect uh, the molecules. So, you know, over the longer term, I think that will be the very, very scalable output here because the, the scale of what we're talking about, say, in the panhandle is, you know, ultimately probably in the tens of gigawatts of electrolysis by the time this is all said and done. But we also, we also have numerous other sort of paths home, if you will. For example, one of them might be actually bringing biogenic carbon to the site, right? And now we can make things like methanol or jet fuel out of our hydrogen, and that's much more easily transported by things like rail or, for instance, 15 miles away from our, 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 our site is a, is a refined product pipeline, right, that, that services the area around Denver International Airport. Um, and so you could, you could easily make you know, jet fuel. So there are there are a number of different, every time we develop for hydrogen, for instance, we're focused on having multiple paths out, multiple paths to market. Um, and so I won't sit here and tell you that we've got it all figured out, but it's that sort of diver highly diversified, very large bet on the inevitable that defines our strategy in the sector. What are the second order impacts on the industries that you could serve? Like, how is this shift in the way clean energy is delivered? How would it change the economics of the industries that you'd be serving? You know, I'll take the data center example. I think the, the data center industry, energy has been a commodity to them for a very long time, right? You know, in fact, in the early days of Intersect, we actually didn't even do business with, with most of the data center customers, even though we knew them well. And I have a lot of respect for those companies. They're, you know, some of the you know, companies that have defined the last, you know, 100 years of American history. Um, but, but it just wasn't worth it, right? Because they viewed us as a commodity. They had plenty of competition for the supply of that commodity. And they had other reasons for doing their business the way they did, right? They needed it to be in a certain location because it was closer to their offices or closer to their other data centers, or they had a labor pool. But now increasingly, Many of these industries, as they pursue their decarbonization goals, but not even their decarbonization goals, some of them are just looking around and going, man, I can go talk to 10 utilities and less than half of them probably even want me on their grid. It used to be you'd show up and say, I got a 200 megawatt load, you know, who wants it? And people would jump up and down. But now they can't, some of them are starting to see like, you can, the grid can't even support my loads in certain places, right? And let alone green them. And so I think people are beginning to realize that, that, that the binding constraint may be different than what they thought on their business and that that binding constraint may be energy. And so it begins to have the entire strategic direction of the industry or, and, and how they choose to deploy their, their assets, how they choose to prioritize sites and, and their business uh, is, is changing, I believe. And I'll be the first to say, I'm not an expert in data centers. We, we are just getting going and we're doing it more out of curiosity and, and wanting to like do the part of it that's close to our core business um, than anything else. But I do see a bit of a change coming in how those companies prioritize. Ironically, at their core, many companies who have been buying green energy to date, not just the tech guys, but everybody, the, the kind of dirty little secret is that most of those companies have been saving money too, right? So they've all been, you know, heroes for the climate, but they've also been kind of making money out the back door, buying really cheap energy from guys like me. And so now they're going to have to put their money where their mouth is, right? They're actually going to potentially impact their cost structure as they're asked to go to, you know, places in the country where they might not have been to get green power at high capacity factors. I, I do think a reprioritization around not just clean energy, but energy availability is coming for very, very energy intensive businesses generally. 
So if the industry follows your lead with this relocation strategy for renewables, if we sort of take it out to the end of the decade, what do you think it means for the build-out of clean energy over the next seven years or so? What, what does the industry look like in 2030 if we take this strategy to its logical conclusion? Nothing is ever as black and white as an original sort of insight or strategy leads you to believe. So the whole nexus of deep decarbonization, the theory that load will come to generation, is a framework that Intersect Power has you know, written down and adopted for guiding our business. It helps us make decisions when things are blurry and kind of hard to read. Um, but it doesn't mean that the world is going to break down into, you know, well, every new data center is going to be built next to a hydrogen facility in the panhandle of Texas, right? There's going to be, the result will be a, a messy middle, uh, but the winners will be the people who who recognize, who have a an actual theoretical and philosophical belief about, you know, how the world will change and can get in front of that, right? Others will just be sort of following along behind and, you know, noting the change, like, Oh wow, people are kind of moving behind the meter a little bit. You know, let's let's do some of that, right? That's that's the sort of follower mentality whereas, you know, the the people who who adopt the sort of black and white view of the world hopefully are ahead of it. But again, the result is not going to be a bunch of, you know, big energy parks and a broken a broken grid that never delivers any industrial scale energy ever again. I do think that there's going to be some interesting plays on like regional transmission. So take West Texas, for instance. Most of the constraints going, you know, west to east in Texas to take renewables to the load pockets are, you know, along this pretty stark line called the, you know, generalized transmission constraint in Texas. And in the west, there's actually a fair amount of capacity to move energy around. And so, you know, you're already seeing load come into those zones, right? So you could actually see kind of localized transmission networks, even if it's not behind the meter, uh, serving as kind of almost like mini microgrid or, ma you know, maxi microgrids, if you will, you know, uh, larger versions of microgrids um, that are still public utilities, you know, infrastructure, but they're they're cutting sort of side deals like they do with data centers for some of these new loads to come into areas where they know they've got too much renewables on their system and they can't get it to Dallas, for instance. So the world will be messy in the middle, but I think the the insight of the direction it's it's moving is what is important. Sheldon Kember, CEO of Intersect Power, it is such a pleasure talking to you. Really enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Greatly appreciate it, Stu. Sheldon Kimber is the CEO of Intersect Power. If you want to read more about Sheldon's vision and how this strategy will play out, he has an op-ed published in Latitude Media. Follow the link in the show notes to read it. Intersect Power is a clean energy company bringing innovative and scalable low-carbon solutions to its customers in global energy markets. The company develops, owns, and operates some of the world's largest clean energy resources, providing low-carbon electricity, fuel, and related products to customers for U.S. consumption and international export. If you want to learn more about Intersect's projects and business model, visit intersectpower.com.